0: Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. The text that we've just heard from Matthew 16. This is a, a pivotal moment in Matthew's narrative and his, his gospel. To this point in the gospel, Jesus had at, at various times in various ways. He had made it very clear to his followers, to his disciples, that, that they would await persecution, that they would face trials, that they would face challenges of various kinds. These were the occupational hazards of of what it was to follow Jesus. But at this point in the text, Jesus begins to tell him directly about the suffering, about the death that he is going to experience. He begins here to describe the costliness of his earthly mission. And his focus shifts to the cross. As we consider this, this text this morning together, I, I want you to think about things in your life that have been costly in significant ways. Maybe for some of you, it's, you know, it's been athletic achievement. You think about the, the money, the time training, the time growing, the time competing to be your best. Maybe that was costly. Or for others, maybe your career, maybe the, the money, the time, the energy that you put into the education that prepared you for that career. Maybe the challenges you faced, the obstacles you overcame to be more competent in your career. Others of you, maybe your home. Maybe your home has been costly. Maybe you have a money pit. Maybe all the work you've put in has been a labor of love. Maybe not so much. We're beginning to experience those expected and unexpected costs of home ownership in our new season. But a home is costly. The initial investment and then all that goes into keeping it up. Well, whether it's kind of those areas or or other areas of Your life. We we have these things in our lives that are costly. And yet, oftentimes, we're sustained by this sense that, well, this is what I signed up for. This is what I signed up for. And so we can endure it. The, The question this morning for us is what does it cost you to follow Jesus? Has it been costly? Has it been pretty inexpensive, actually? What does it cost you to follow Jesus? The New Testament describes a, um, an idea or a, a doctrine that I think is pretty fundamental to understanding this text. And understanding what it is to follow Jesus. And that is our union with Christ. Our union with Christ. So, so in other words, we share in every element of the experience of Jesus in our own following of him. In our own discipleship. And so we, we all think of the, the resurrection and Jesus' glorification. and We all want that. That's fun. But the Bible also seems to indicate that we share in his suffering and in his death as well. In some way. As we trust him. And as we follow him. Because there's no resurrection without The crucifixion. There's no resurrection without the crucifixion. Because as we see Jesus' journey is costly, ours will be as well. So as we look at this text this morning from Matthew 16, I, I see three things about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. The first is that this is difficult to accept. It's difficult to accept. The second is that the cost of following Jesus leads to life. And then lastly, that the cost of following Jesus reaps an eternal reward. Let us first pray. God, thank you for calling us to yourself, even now, even this morning. Lord, we know that your journey, your mission was costly. And so God, as we follow you, help us to trust you with the ways that you call us to take up our cross, deny ourselves, and follow you, that we may experience life. So Lord, just open our hearts, illuminate whatever it is you want to show us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the costliness of following Jesus is difficult. So it's difficult for his disciples to expect. And here he's just describing his own suffering, his own death. He's not even you know, necessarily talking about what they will experience, the suffering, the shame, the death that's to come for them. And what's interesting is this was true, that this is difficult. This was true even after their highest moment, you might say, of revelation, of clarity, of understanding. Notice the timing of this rebuke from Jesus. Right before this, is one of the most climactic moments of the disciples' understanding and appreciating who Jesus is. So see verses 13 through 17. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So he's referring to himself. They replied, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. So what do we see? Even with understanding, even with great theology, even with revelation, insight, this is still difficult for them. The cost is difficult. I think it's difficult for at least three reasons, maybe more. But the, the, the first is that, as we see with the disciples, and that we see in our own lives sometimes, is that we can have an overly triumphalistic faith. We think victory, we think blessing, we think Abundance, We think control. And the disciples and, and many Jews at the time of Jesus, they certainly couldn't imagine a Messiah, an anointed one sent from God, who would die at the hands of the empire. No way. That was scandalous to think about. This was Christ. This is the anointed one. He, he's supposed to win with power. He's supposed to... Throw off Roman oppression. He's supposed to exert control and power and restore Israel's fortunes. And so certainly no way that his trajectory could lead to death. They're thinking, no way. But they didn't understand that Jesus would win by dying. And this, this kind of triumphalism is, is sometimes tempting for us as well. We, we think that a victorious life with Christ, a victorious life of faith, is going to be blessing and prosperity and perfect health and even political power sometimes. But Jesus doesn't promise us those things, does he? Some of the most faithful, godly people that I know face indescribable challenges regularly. We, we think of the persecuted church across the globe that Chrissy alluded to in her prayer. I, I recently just had a, a conversation with one of my Chinese friends from the seminary. And we were catching up and he was telling me that now that COVID is sort of drifting past us a little bit, that the, that the government oppression of the underground church in China is ramping up. He knows of two pastor friends of his who have been detained, who have been imprisoned. And so the life of faith is not guaranteed to be easy for us. So triumphalism makes this difficult for us. A second reason is, I don't know about you, but I have one of those things inside that's called a will. I have a strong will sometimes. Maybe you do too. And so we want what we want, when we want, from whom we want, how we want. This is just how we're wired to think and to live sometimes. But to follow Jesus is to be submitted to his will into his way, trusting that it's better than our own. And even Jesus, even in his humanity, even in his human will, in his final hours, you may remember in the garden there, as he was in anguish over what lay before him. And he prayed, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But he knew that the cross was the only way for him. So our stubborn wills get in the way sometimes. And a third and final reason is the culture that we swim in the, the culture that we swim in. Because our culture is about self fulfillment, self actualization, self expression. Self-esteem, selfies, <laughs> selfie sticks. I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And just, just the other day, they were sitting out on the deck. And they got a hold of like a, a toy camera. And my, my daughter and my son are sitting together in the same chair. And she's taking selfies of them <laughs> with the toy camera. And so it's our selfie And this culture, as you can imagine, doesn't predispose us well to denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Jesus. And so this is difficult. This is hard. We can just own that. To try to undermine this hard path, this way of the cross, is the work of the devil. We see this in verse 23. Look what Jesus says says to Peter, after Peter comes after him, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. Ouch. See, Peter tries to come against Jesus' calling, his path, the way of the cross. And Jesus responds strongly because he had seen it before. If you remember Matthew 4, Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, Satan comes against him and tries to short-circuit his whole path, his whole destiny, his whole calling. Satan comes in and and, offers him authority and power. He says, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you will just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, no. No. He would not circumvent the way of the cross to serve himself. So this is hard. Like Peter, like the disciples, we stumble over the cross sometimes. We stumble over what that means for our lives, the ways that we need to deny ourselves and share in the death of Jesus. This is hard. But secondly, we see that the cost of following Jesus leads to life. Leads to life. Verses 24 to 26, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? So right there, we have another paradox of the kingdom. Paradox of the kingdom. Jesus is great at these, isn't he? Jesus tells us that the the, the least shall be first. The the greatest among you will be your servant. And then he says, whoever would lose their life will find it. So Jesus is great at paradox. These are the paradoxes of the kingdom. When Pastor John preached Matthew 10 a few weeks back, he expounded on this a little bit. And I thought it was memorable. He, he, he offered a picture of somebody who tries to save their life. You may remember. But this person, they, they exercise regularly, religiously to stay fit, to stay healthy. They, they avoid the public because there's germs there. You might get sick. We know that all too well recently. This person just hoards all the resources so that there's no fear of running out. Just keeps everything But that's not life. That's self-preservation. And the irony is that we all end up dying anyway. We can't dodge that. In fact, that person's funeral, their life, that culminates in this funeral where a few people show up and they say, he really took care of himself. But what Jesus calls us to do is to lose our lives so that we might find it. In other words, our following Jesus will involve the way of the cross. And so out of obedience to him, we die to ourselves. We share in his sufferings and death by dying to ourselves, by dying to our sin nature, by dying to the grip that we have on our own plans, our own destiny. We die to our attachment to this world, and we give our lives away in service to others rather than living for ourselves. And what does this look like? It looks like a lot of things, but just a few thoughts is it looks like us considering others better than ourselves. Philippians 2.3. It, it looks like pursuing forgiveness and reconciliation, however hard that may be. It looks like laying down our rights in the context of a marital relationship or other relationship. Your right to be right. Your right to win the argument, laying down your rights so that you may restore and preserve intimacy in that relationship. It means submitting our sexual desires to be God, whether we're single or married. It means not settling for romantic relationships with others who don't share our values and our calling. It means loosening our grip on our plans and our dreams. For some of us, it might mean major steps of faith. God may ask you to release convenience, comfort. Safety. And for some, as we've already discussed, some brothers and sisters of Christ around the world, it may mean giving their very lives out of their loyalty to Jesus. So Jesus says, die to yourself, take up your cross, follow me. But this isn't, this isn't very important. This isn't simply our willpower. This isn't simply our asceticism. This is our submission to him and his empowering us By his Holy Spirit. So that he may form the life and the character of Jesus in us. And this is the work of God. We just submit to him. I don't know about you, but I don't want to forgive sometimes. I don't want to go out of my way to engage my neighbor who may be far from God. I don't want to lay down my rights. I don't want to lose an argument with my wife. I want to win them. All of them. And so I want convenience, comfort, safety, control. I want my space sometimes. Jesus says, die. Die. But the point here is that this self-denial leads to life. How is that? How is that? Is that... When we do this, when we submit to him and let him live through us, we are free to live, we are free to serve, we are free to love. Go, go back to my, if you will, my, my sort of analysis of our culture a little bit, which you may feel too. Self, self-expression, self-esteem, self-actualization, self-fulfillment, self-gratification. If we're honest, there's, there's some things in us that we don't want to express. There's some things in us that we shouldn't actualize. There's some things in us that we shouldn't fulfill. We have that thought, all of us probably sometimes, that if you only knew what was going through my head or in my heart. And so rather this is life because we have the gift of the Spirit of God in us as we are submitted to him. And so we can rather express Christ, actualize Christ, fulfill Christ, Live for Christ through us. And then we can love and bless the world around us. And so this is the paradox of the kingdom. Lose your life. Lay down your rights. Lay down your sinful nature. Lay down your grip that you may find life. So this stuff is hard to accept, cost of discipleship. But there's no other path to life. There's no other path to life. There is no resurrection without crucifixion. But lastly, the cost of following Jesus reaps an eternal reward. Look with me at verses 27 to 28. Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly, I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So verse 27 here, Jesus is likely referring to final judgment. This this reckoning towards which all of our lives and all of history is moving. Jesus is talking about this moment. And this sense of reward for a life lived for Christ and not for self, we see elsewhere in the Bible. We see in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while well in the body, whether good or bad. There's other texts, Re- Revelation twenty eleven through 15 bear this out. And so, so it's unbiblical to say that what happens here doesn't matter. The choices we make, the priorities we have, the values we have, the investments we make, all of these matter eternally. But our confidence is not in what we do. It's not in our works. Our confidence is in Christ to whom we submit. And then out of that love relationship flows service world, self-denial, and the good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. And those are the evidence of our faith. So if all of these things matter. Matter for eternity. Eternity. So if we go about our life pouring all of our energies into building our own little comfortable, flashy, secure kingdom, only serving ourselves. What do we have to show at the end of all things? Not much. In fact, nothing. A seminary professor of mine would sometimes say, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. You never see a U-Haul following a hearse, you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. But what does endure eternally is lives that we touch for the kingdom of God, it is closest of a relationship that we cultivate with Jesus, and is the life and the character of Jesus that God works in us. These are what go with us. And all of this flows from a life of denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him. Friends, as we know, and as we see with Jesus, there's no resurrection without death. There's no victory without loss. And so, what has following Jesus cost you? Has it been costly in one way or another? Or has it been Jesus on sale? Really light stuff this morning, folks. I know. I know. You're welcome. And this is hard, as we've said, but that's okay. And, you know, ultimately, none of this makes sense as an outside observer. Ultimately, for some of us, there's just an encounter with Jesus. There's just a response by faith to him. That's the starting point. So that any of this really computes for us. And so some of us may be in a position this morning where we need to surrender to Jesus, where you need to come to God and say, I know that living a life for myself is a dead end. It's empty. There's got to be more than this. If that's you, Jesus says, come, follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life that you may find it. Others of us, we've been following Jesus for some time, and, but, but we would do well to regularly refresh ourselves and reflect ourselves of what we're talking about. How has Jesus, following Jesus, been costly for you these days? Has it been Jesus on sale? Are there rights that you need to lay down in conflict? Is there some area of your life that you need to just give over to God that you've struggled to give to him? Is there plans in your life that you need to invite God into rather than just asking him to bless what you come up with? Do you need to examine your heart, your priorities, your spending? We would all do well to reflect on this. One of my kind of one of the inspirations as I was preparing this sermon is a great book which I commend to you. It's a book called The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you're a reader, pick it up. If you're not a reader, pick it up. It will be worth your while. You can borrow my copy. Let me know after service. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer just describes this costly grace, this costly life with Jesus as the only way. And then also, as I thought about this text from Matthew 16, I just kept thinking of countless other texts around the New Testament which illuminate this for us. And so there's some texts on your screen here. Maybe you can reflect on these this week. Pray on these. See what God might reveal for you. But friends, as we say, I want to follow Jesus. He says, follow me to the cross. Take up your cross. Deny yourself. Follow me. Lose your life that you may find it. Let us pray. Lord, we need your, your help with this, God. Help us, Lord, to surrender to you in this season. Thank you that you gave everything. And now you call us to a costly, yet life-giving journey with you, God. And So show us the way forward. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit that we may live richer lives with you and for you. In Jesus' name, amen.